0: Welcome to Everything Nonprofit, a podcast where we reveal the secrets,
1: tips, and tricks for
0: leading a nonprofit. My name is Carmen.
1: And I'm Kayla. As nonprofit founders, we know firsthand how challenging and overwhelming it can be to build a nonprofit from the ground up. This is a podcast for nonprofit executives by nonprofit executives. If you need advice on starting your own nonprofit organization, or are looking to expand your knowledge of nonprofit operations. Stay tuned.
0: We're so lucky to have another boss lady join us today. Maria Colby Wolf is president and CEO of Washington Women's Foundation and a visiting instructor at the University of Washington and Seattle University.
1: Before her work at the foundation, Maria served in a variety of development and communication roles at the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, Seattle Symphony, Path with Art, ACT Theater, Museum of Pop Culture, and Swedish Medical Center Foundation. She sits on various boards, including Teen Child, Rainier Valley Food Bank, and the Global Leadership Forum. Maria was raised in Bellingham, Washington, graduated from the University of Puget Sound, and achieved doctoral candidacy in American history at Northwestern University. Her passions and beliefs align directly with her work, food, art, and justice for all. Welcome to the Everything Nonprofit Podcast, Maria. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Maria, researching and hearing your bio, your life is extremely interesting, including (laughs) your career switches and adventures, which we'll dive more into later on. To start off, can you share with the listeners your responsibilities and your position as the president and CEO at the Washington Women's Foundation? Of
2: course. So there's sort of, um, within the foundation, there are really three what I call some decision-making groups. We have our board, we have our members, and we have the staff. Um, the members elect the board, the board derives the strategy and the direction for the foundation, and the staff implements that strategy and does a lot of the, the nuts and bolts of the strategy, and then supports all the member programming and programs that happen for our members. So as CEO and president, what my job is, is to sort of direct to the staff in their implementation of the strategy and in the support of programming. So we are supporting our members with their education programs, helping them find speakers, helping uh, put together the logistics around events. We help them with their social events, making sure we're having fun experiences for them, to meet with one another and to have those sort of connections that happen within people's. And then of course supporting them in their grant making process and the learning they do through their grant making. Our other sort of responsibility, my other sort of responsibility is to very much be the face of the foundation out there in the world. So member ret- recruitment, donations, those sort of things. I also am involved in that, in that work as well. So uh, pretty high level staff work
1: that happens. Nice. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, clearly from your bio, you've been in so many roles and positions involved in a lot of charities and nonprofits, and you, clearly you've acquired a lot of skills and experiences along the way. Um, but leading up to that, was there a pivotal moment in your life that led you down the, the nonprofit path?
2: There was. And it's so funny because a lot of people are like, I kind of stumbled into this, which is true. I kind of stumbled into the fundraising aspect of it. But um, I've been working, i had been in academia for a while, right, that doctoral candidacy and um, had had not fallen in love with it in the long run. And so I was working out in the world. In a for-profit world, I was a sales manager for a luxury hotel property, and getting those sales, that was my job. And I was back in Chicago. Uh, I met my husband in Chicago when I was at Northwestern. And so we were back in Chicago visiting his family, and we were at the Steppenwolf Theater, uh, which is an excellent theater. And we were watching the Glen Gary Glen Ross, which is a poem I met uh, play. And I'm watching this play, which is all about salespeople. And it's a very depressing play about like the terrible lives of people who are in sales and how, how miserable their existence is. And, um, and I was like, oh my God, my, my life is on this stage and it's, and it's terrible. Like my life's gonna sucks. Like, why am I doing this work? It's so unfulfilling yeah. and I don't care whether you have a nice bed and bathroom anymore. And so I went back to, we were living in DC at the time. I went back to DC with my husband and I said, I can't do this anymore. He said, you have three months to figure out what you wanna be when you grow up. I said, okay. And um, I looked only for jobs that I found interesting that that spoke to me, that made me think that I might have a greater, greater, higher purpose than just making sure somebody had a nice bed. And I found this little theater called Signature Theater uh, in Arlington, Virginia. I went to work for them with this massive cut and pay. (laughs) to go work for them as their pay- ticketing and patron services manager. And while I was there, I looked over and I saw the development people. I thought, hey, I have a bunch of skills I sort of developed as a salesperson that absolutely apply, that I can uh, take and put into this development land. So when we moved back here to, uh, to Washington State just a year or so later, um, I just looked for development roles. And that is how I sort of got started. And, Wow, I wish I'd st- found this a long time ago because
0: this was definitely
2: where I where I belong.
0: Thanks for sharing that. It's very neat to come across someone who had worked in so many aspects of the arts. Like mm-hmm. you said, from the Signature Theater, Museum of Pop Culture, the Seattle Symphony, and many more. What would you say that these arts-related involvements have shaped and translated to your current position? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the art,
2: One of the things in the arts is how very, very little artists get paid, right? They put all this amazing stuff on on the screen or on the stage or on the walls, and they get paid very, very little amounts of money. And that seemed, that always struck me as incredibly, that sort of infuriated me, actually. It's one of my pet peeves is people who don't pay artists for their work. So it's like artists should be paid. And when you start looking around at the numbers of people who are not, being provided with what they need to, in order to have, um, to be healthy and thrive, it just, it just expanded for me, you know how many people are struggling. Our artists are struggling, a lot of our people are struggling. And this is not the society we want, right? What society do we want? We want a society that celebrates beauty, that celebrates people's accomplishments and opportunities. And so what we're about is to go find out how to make that happen. Art is also, for me, a place where ideas are welcomed, um, where you can really push some some ideas. You can put them on the stage and see what happens with them. Uh, I like being in a world where ideas and the idea of a different possibility is one that we're familiar and comfortable with discussing. And so the arts really opened up that avenue of the way in which I think. Uh, and, I, and I love them. Obviously, they changed my... The arts changed my life right? <laughs> because I went to the arts and I said, I need a new job. So
1: so it's definitely
2: uh, uh, one of the other things that's driven me towards this uh, towards
1: this work. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I definitely understand the the connection that you made there. And just as an aside, I used to be a professional cake decorator. Oh, um, I... So <laughs> I I relate. Right. I relate there to um, the arts not necessarily being appreciated the way they should I can. Be absolutely already hear people saying, Oh, could you make a
2: cake for us? Hey,
1: Kayla, could you just do that? I can absolutely see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's, I definitely hear you on that. Um, So if you were to reflect on your tenure so far with Washington Women's Foundation, what would you say have been some of your most difficult challenges during your time at this organization and and maybe share a little bit of how you've overcome them?
2: Yeah, well, it's a good question. So I've been here about a year and a half now. So I started last February, and there's a 27-year-old organization, and we still have like the founder is still involved. In fact, I was with her this morning. So there's there's still a lot of connections. This is longevity. People stay as members of Washington Women's Foundation for a long time. So we have quarter-century-long, you know, members here, and what happens in an organization when you have that many years is the myth-making, which really does start early in almost any organization. But after 27 years, the myths have built. And so you walk in and I'm coming in fresh eyes, looking at things saying that's not, for instance, there was this great myth that we had 500 members. We have 500 members at Washington Women's Foundation. And I'm looking at the numbers, I'm like, not only do we not have 500 members now, we have never had 500 members. I don't know where that came from, but that is not true. And, and yet it's, it's, it is a pervasive myth, right? We have 500. So anytime we have a number lower than 500, our members are like, oh my goodness, what's happening? But nothing is happening. That's the same number you want, nothing is happening. So that has been, that myth-making is one of the things that's so difficult to, to get to uh, and to, to dissuade people from the fact that the way they thought things were, isn't the way they are and do it in a way that doesn't seem like you're dismissal dismissing them that you're dismissive of what it is that they're saying and what it is that they believed about their organization there was a a myth that we did all of our granting administrative work and program costs were completely supported by our membership fees like Well, also the endowment spinoff and also the donations that we receive and the sponsorships that we receive. We have never not had additional donations come into into our funds to help support the work that we do. We've always been doing that. And yet there was this great myth that everything is just because of membership. And membership, of course, is a big driver. Like it's a big chunk of our dollars, obviously, but it's certainly not exclusive. And it is not the only way that we are able to have the dollars that we want to have to do the programming and the work that we want to do. Um, and one of the big ones that we've sort of wrestled with was what does it mean for us to do our work and how impactful are we? One of the things that Washington Women's Foundation was really proud of is like, we make impactful gifts, $100,000 gifts. And that seems like big, right? But, oh, $100,000, that's six figures. But we, I live in Seattle, $100,000. You're basically paying one person's salary and and maybe their health care, but for a year, it's not as much money as it maybe used to be. So humbling ourselves a little bit is also been one of the myths that we've had to sort of address. So yeah, the joys of a long-term organization, (laughs) you got to sometimes peel stuff away and say, nope, that wallpaper has been on that wall way too long. And we got to dig out, get back to the wall.
0: Maria, I can hear the passion that you have for Mm -hmm. the work that you're doing, even with all the challenges that you're facing. What would you say have been your driving forces in this space and your leadership in it?
2: I spent a lot of years on the other side of the wall, right? A lot of years doing development work, writing grants, asking for dollars. And I wrestled in that space with a lot of questions around the relationship between funders, donors, and the nonprofits that they served. And the and the people that they were all supposedly working to, to support. And so what's been so exciting about being here at Washington Women's Foundation is I get to be on the other side of let's create a funder and fundee grantee relationship that is a true partnership that acknowledges the the power dynamics between our organizations, acknowledges it, recognizes it, and then deals with it in a really healthy fashion that says, look, we know we have power. We're giving, giving away the money. We know we have power. How can we do more of the work so that you have more time to do your work, right? So one of the things that has been exciting is exploring how we can be better philanthropists, which is very much in, in line with Washington Women's Foundation's mission. But um, I've also been able to explore not only how can we give away money better, how can I be a CEO that I've always wanted to be? You know, when I got this job, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go read a bunch of books about how to be a CEO. And they were all written by dudes and they were all very masculine. And they had this, this vision of what it meant to be a CEO that was not the vision that I wanted. I said, you know what? That is not who we're gonna be. We're gonna be a different organization and we're gonna have a, a culture that isn't this strange hierarchy of like, don't let everybody know everything about what you're doing. That's ridiculous. We're gonna be transparent about how things work. So it's been exciting to put together a culture that is the kind of place that I'd like to work for. So that's been, oh, so fun. It's been really fun to be able to do that. And, um, and to make, and the other thing that we do of course is making Washington Women's Foundation a place that can really be a, a catalyst for change. I like to think of us as a, a space where oxygen is given. To organizations. So starting to focus our energies on smaller, uh, more grassroots organizations and giving them oxygen so they can really thrive, which I think is hard for so many of them. It's difficult to get your hands on the big funds because they're little and they don't have a grant writer and they don't have a development department. Yeah, that's been my driver. I really like my job. <laughs> I really like My job. And that is part of it, right? Because I get to think about the stuff that I've been working in for 20 years and how to make it uh, how to make it better?
1: That's great. You have someone in a position who's running a nonprofit who loves what they do. It doesn't get much better than that. Oh my god, said so right. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers. Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers helps impactful non-for-profit organizations achieve their objectives by connecting them with skillful project managers who can aid them in crystallizing their visions leading project teams, and deconstructing their goals into achievable milestones. This service is absolutely free and can help your nonprofit organization get the extra help it needs so that you can spend more time making a difference in the world and less time on administration. Visit pm-volunteers.org to request the assistance of a project manager 100% free of charge. No gimmicks, no catches, just one nonprofit helping another. So, you've alluded a little bit to what Washington Women's Foundation does. Um, but for our listeners, can you give you know, what's your elevator pitch? What's your spiel um, on what Washington Women's Foundation does and, and how does it run?
2: Yeah. So, Washington Women's Foundation is a collective of people who identify as women. Uh, we pool our dollars together. And out of that pooled fund, we grant out significant gifts to the nonprofit community in hopes that we can be uh, fostering the change that we want to see in the world, right? So we're a collective, we make our decisions together as a group. We're a collective because we think we're stronger together, that we put our dollars together and we can make larger gifts that uh, you don't have to be incredibly wealthy to be part of. Um, an organization or a foundation that is, is granting out significant gifts. And we are committed to learning together. So one of the requirements as we come in is if you're gonna grant in these areas, you need to learn about them. It's really, and that's something that we've, we've changed our grant-making this past year to emphasize that even more deeply, that we, too many philanthropists come into this arena, and don't actually know what they're talking about, right? Board members, people on boards who've never done anything in the fields that they're on the boards for and somehow think that they are the ones who should be dictating how this works, that's ridiculous. And I say that as somebody who's been on both sides. I do not know, for instance, we did school to prison pipeline was one of our funding arenas. I happen to be on the board of team child. I've done a lot of reading on and a lot of knowledge gathering around the school to prison pipeline, but that doesn't mean everybody in our foundation is. So if we're going to be making decisions that are putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into the community in a certain on a certain field, we are responsible for learning about that field. It's our responsibility as philanthropists to do our own homework, and that is something we are starting to really emphasize here at the foundation. And it's been really fun because we're learning all sorts of things that we didn't know about uh, about the issues that surround us and the nuances about about, about them. So. That's what we do. We learn, we give, and we uh, do
0: it together. Can you expand a little bit more uh, with the work that the organization is doing? How does it transform into impactful philanthropy and community commitments? Yeah. And,
2: you know, I've been using the word impactful, too. And I I probably need to pull that back because I think to just to start. Yes, I'll answer that. But we do need to think about what impactful means. Right. As I was saying, one hundred thousand dollars is probably not as impactful as we would like these days. So in the past, what we've done and supporting smaller organizations helps this and helps make a little bit more oxygen, right? We, uh, we've we had some really amazing groups that have come through that I can speak directly to the, the power of a Washington Women's Foundation grant to them. So the Sierra Sisters is an organization run by a Black woman who uh, that supports Black women who have Breast cancer because she had breast cancer and nobody really supported her and there wasn't a group out there. And she felt like her experience in the medical community, as we know, for Black women is not always great. And so she wanted to give a space for Black women to have those conversations and to learn from one another about what they needed to do for their bodies. She was basically running it out of her kitchen, off her kitchen table. She'd been running for 20 years. She'd been doing this work very much underpaid, just trying to keep this organization going. And so that hundred thousand dollar injection not only gave her some breathing room, but it also put her in front of hundreds of our members, like four hundred women who all have additional capacity. Almost all of them have additional capacity. So several of them started to give to her directly. Because of who we were, we were interviewed, for instance, um, I, had a, I got an interview last year with one of, the organ, one of the television shows that was trying to talk about Women's Month. And I brought Sierra sisters on to also talk about the wonderful work that they do. And so she got that exposure. And so that level of being able to build the relationship with our grantees and connect them to more possibilities, that is something that we do very, very well. We did it for Path with Art. I know that intimately because I was working there at the time. I was their director of development. We got a a grant from Washington Women's Foundation helped us with our database capacity, which is really huge. So those sorts of of stories are always something that we have. I will say though, that impactful question, how much is our $100,000 worth? We've started to really acknowledge the fact that philanthropy is not enough. And so one of the things we also started this year was our advocacy grant. So we are granting not only in direct services but also in pushing for those organizations that are pushing for real systemic change often in this in the uh, in the political realm. So we are making steps beyond just philanthropy because we really want the change.
1: That's great. It sounds like not only are you are you making these monetary getting these monetary gifts to individuals, but you're also making connections for them and, and changing their organizations. And like you said, really impactful ways. Absolutely. Um, so we know that the foundation is a big supporter of other nonprofits through your collective grants and identified priority areas. Can you kind of walk us through how the themes of these priorities are determined and rotated on the, the two-year cycle? Yeah, so we... We at one
2: time had five buckets. They were very, very broad, healthcare, education. And we were getting hundreds and hundreds of applications and they would be completely disparate organizations. You know, it was like, tiny children need shoes. Also, this organization is doing a really nuanced look at nonprofits and diversity. And they would be up against each other. And it was just complete, it was kind of not, it wasn't apples and apples, right? So we did some shifting and some changing around this past year and moved it to sort of six big buckets. And then every three years we do three of those and then narrow that down to a more precise issue. So the way we've done that is is using the trust-based philanthropy sort of model and principles, we brought community voices into that decision-making process. So we didn't do that this past year because it was the first year, but this year we're really doing the whole thing from soup to nuts. So we're having something called the convening where we invite community members, experts, and our members they come together to have a conversation about, for instance, this year we're doing healthcare, uh, education, and climate and agricultural justice. So we're gonna have conversations about those three big buckets. And one of the things we'll be asking is, what are the big issues? What are the big issues in healthcare right now? What should we be funding on in education? What are the issues that we should be looking at for climate and agricultural justice? keeps our funding sort of fresh and more up-to-date with what's happening right now. So we'll have that conversation. At the end of those days, we will ask the people who attended and were part of those conversations, those community members, to go ahead and give us your list of what the issues are that we should be funding in. And then our members will choose those issues uh, this uh, by a survey, like by vote. what do you wanna work on this year? What do you wanna learn more about? What do you wanna grant in? So this year, we're just about to our voting uh, period. We did law, justice, and incarceration. Uh, You'd think they'd be right at the top of my head. Uh, uh, Housing and hunger and uh, arts and community culture. And then we narrowed those big buckets down to the school-to-prison pipeline for the law, justice, and incarceration, the mental health and housing for housing and hunger, and community cultural preservation for arts and culture. It's been fascinating. It's been absolutely fascinating learning more about these these issues, diving deep, having big educational moments. We had school-to-prison pipeline 101 and 102 where we we learned from a bunch of experts more about it so that when we grant in it, we have a real good understanding of what these nonprofits are looking at and the the sort of environment that they're in. So yeah.
0: Really big initiatives. (laughs) We're
2: not not gonna solve them. Just FYI probably not going to be taken care of by the time we're done. But but it also allows us to be really fresh. I mean, one of the things we're having a conversation with right now is as a women's, should we be paying attention to reproductive health care next year? We will have that conversation. I imagine it will be one of the things that comes up as a vote. And so we'll see if our members want to want to fund in that arena.
0: And if our listeners resonate and want to support the foundation's mission, what yeah. can they do and how can they contribute?
2: Yeah, well, like all
0: nonprofits,
2: we have a website that you can donate to. So it's W it's, A um, W O M E N S F D N dot org backslash contribute. So Wall Women's Foundation slash contribute. There's several different ways and several di- and we sort of have a list there. but you can give sponsorships if you'd like to have if you're a company and you'd like to have your company uh, at all of our events, we have a lot of events if you'd like to be featured there. You can, of course make contributions directly to the organization without having to join. But if you are a woman or you identify and or identify as a woman and you want to join, you're welcome to do that. It's twenty five hundred dollars is our joining fee, and uh, when you give that, then you're open and access to all of our uh, all of our events, all of our education programs, and of course, you get to
0: vote.
1: Is there anything else that you'd like to share about yourself or Washington Women's Foundation that we haven't asked about? I don't think so. I I, I do want to
2: underscore that learning is what we do. And we do a lot of learning about what we're up to and what our world looks like and how we want to change it. And perfection is not what we do. And so one of the things we've wrestled with and one of the things we're really trying to inculcate is that we're not going to be perfect funders, but we certainly will uh, keep learning from our nonprofit partners how to be better at giving away money. There are worse things to do.
0: And where can people find out more about you? I know you spoke about the website. Are there other channels or other social media platforms that-
2: I'm on LinkedIn. You can always find me there.
0: I don't, I'm very much a lurker on Twitter. So I do not,
2: I don't do a lot of tweeting on my own and my Facebook page is is very private, but LinkedIn, absolutely you can find me. You can find me at Washington Women's Foundation. Um, We're a small but mighty crew. So my email is on the website for those who might be interested in connecting.
1: Washington Women's Foundation is on social media platforms as well.
2: Sure is. It sure is. Yeah, we're on Facebook and Twitter, primarily a little bit on LinkedIn. We're a small staff. And so our, our our that's one of the places we want to develop more is our social media and, and let people know more about us. That 27-year-old organization didn't like to talk about itself. <laughs> so now we have to bulk that up a little bit.
1: Yeah, nonprofit marketing is, is a whole nother. That's for a whole nother episode. <laughs> that is another
2: episode. Absolutely.
1: Well, we'll drop what we can in the show notes so people can find your organization if they're looking for it. Um, But thank you so much, Maria, for coming on to our podcast. We really loved hearing about your work and all of the touching stories that you shared with us today. So thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Everything Nonprofit. If you don't
0: already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends.